Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, lousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, and gozians and things to episode 55 of the Muppet Trick Podcast. I'm Steve. And gozi is nice. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets in Star Trek. We have been doing and will continue to bring to you one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Original Series. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Gene Stapleton and Star Trek Original Series episode Bread and Circuses. What a fun name. (laughs) Before we get to our thoughts on those, Jarman, do we have any feedback this week? Kind of more of an opposite, more of a shout out, I would say. Uh, I thought you meant someone said said something hateful. (laughs) That would still be feedback, technically. (laughs) (laughs) True, technically feedback. Okay. But that would be fun. But no, that didn't happen, thankfully. Uh, But I want to shout out to our podcasting friends, Paul Wright, Dan Hitch, and Sean Vanderloo, as they've launched yet another new podcast called Epsilon 3, which is a Babylon 5 uh, show review podcast. A bunch of babblers over there. A bunch of babblers. And they totally didn't plan it this way, but they just recently announced that they're doing a Babylon 5 reboot. So it's actually very good timing for this podcast to come out. Okay. And I want to shout that because I've seen Babylon 5. I don't think you have, Steve, correct? Uh, I watched the one episode for when Sean Vanderloo came and was a guest on our show. That's right. That's the one episode I've watched. Yeah, it's a good show for sure. It's it's one of Sean's favorites. uh, And of course, Dan and Paul love it too. But uh, they also are doing Star Trek connections on their Epsilon 3 podcast for this. I think they probably got that from Muppet Trek, I hope. And I'm glad we inspired them. Um, You sons (laughs) of bitches. So at the end of each episode, they do a Star Trek connection segment where some of the actors or something in the show that is connected to Star Trek in some way. So nice little shout out for us, I think, there. And it's also only about 30 minutes per episode, so it's quick and consumable. So go check out Epsilon 3 if you're a Babylon 5 fan. So thanks, folks. Check That's a that lot out. of numbers there. Epsilon 3 for Babylon 5. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's three of them. I guess they're the Epsilon 3. So it works out. Oh, that it's way. not like a planet in Babylon 5. It might be. I don't remember. <laughs> they should have just simplified it and just called it Babylon 3. <laughs> we are the Babylon 3 babbling on about Babylon 5. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. See? That's a lot of numbers. There you go. That's branding. <laughs> That's branding. Well, Steve, tell us about the Muppet Show guest star this week, Jean Stapleton. Oh, man. Jean Stapleton. She got her start in the New York theater scene, eventually making it to Broadway with b- big hits like Damn Yankees and The Bells Are Ringed, eventually performing in the successful film adaptations of those shows. She went on to do many notable TV roles. But what does our audience know her from? Well, she played Edith Bunker, wife to the now iconic Archie Bunker in All in the Family, uh, which uh, this would have been in the eight. It would have been in the eighth season of when she did this show. Oh, wow. So pretty big time popular at the point. Uh, After All in the Family concluded, she made appearances on more TV shows, including Shelley Duvall's Storytale Theater, Murder, She Wrote and Beekman's World. Oh, yeah. Um, But. Most of our audience is going to know her from All in the Family. And that iconic song she sings in the beginning. That's right. (laughs) Well, what's she up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, the opening number uh, features Annie Sue and some pigs heading to the border and performing Tico Tico, a lively Latin number, uh, where per usual pigs are used as any race they need. (laughs) Of course. Kermit introduces Gene Stapleton, who wants uh, to do something simple. She performs Play a Simple Melody. 
Fozzie misses his entrance, eventually joining her on a ukulele for a sweet little duet. Next, we have At the Dance featuring a two-headed lady pig, a mouthless whatnot uh, without much to say. <laughs> Annie Sue gets some more stage time performing da- Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow with Rolf uh, on the keys. Rolf takes offense to the song, but eventually a cave pig man shows up with a club and threatens to hit him if he doesn't perform. <laughs> it's a little, little weird and off-key. Up next, we get a talk spot where Gene Stapleton and Sam the Eagle, who reveals that the Swedish chef doesn't speak real Swedish. <laughs> That's she, a first. She sells him out. The chef comes out. Gene translates, revealing that she took that she took mock Swedish <laughs> in a correspondence course. Uh, we then get to hear him speak his native tongue, which is actually just mock Japanese. It's a little more problematic. <laughs> a little more problematic. Piggy forces her way uh, into the melodrama after Annie Sue gives it up. Uh, Piggy is tied to the railroad tracks by a dastardly villain. The hero arrives who is impressed by the villain's not work. They both bond over being junior swamp scouts. And as the train rapidly approaches and Piggy eventually has to break herself free. Following this, we get the Muppet lab where they're testing shrinking pills. Beaker takes too many and shrinks rapidly. June comes out for her closing number. uh, I'm just wild about Harry where she performs the crazy Harry uh, amongst his explosions. (laughs) She dances around and sings the song backstage this week. Um, someone ate Gonzo's Mexican jumping beans. And every time he says Ariba, they jump, which leads to discovery that animal ate them. Piggy is mad uh, about how much stage time Annie Sue is getting and kind of forces her out of her number. And uh, finally, we get to the closing curtain. Uh, Kermit thanks Gene Stapleton. Harry unleashes even more explosions as everyone wears hard hats. And that's what we call the Muppet show this week. It is. Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with Gene Stapleton? I thought it was very solid. And I think Gene is another another example of a host who is just silly and going with it. And she's a veteran performer and she seemed totally comfortable with them. And she had the right kind of goofy attitude and, you know, make fun of herself kind of thing for this show. Um, And you get a lot of first time things here. Her calling out the Swedish chef for not actually speaking Swedish. That was a fun real like realization. And (laughs) that's canon now. He's not really speaking Swedish, you know, in their own little world. And someone who requests a duet directly with Crazy Harry, I thought was hilarious that she was going to do that. She actually wanted to single him out. Um, And uh, there wasn't really like a through line plot of the backstage plot this time. Um, which we, you know, usually we commend them when that happens because it makes it more of like a cohesive episode, but I'd liked each individual bit. They were all pretty, pretty funny on their own. So it kind of didn't bother me. Like I love the, her bringing the sandwich for Gonzo and it, it's like a terrible, it's like walnuts and what was it? Walnuts and beans or something? Lima beans? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> He's like, you forgot the jelly. Um, but yeah, just little cute bits. And, uh, yeah. So overall, I think it's a good solid upper middle episode for me. Um, what do you think? You're right. It had some of the staples that we're looking for, uh, at the dance Muppet labs. Um, we had good featuring of Gene Stapleton, both in sort of smaller musical numbers. And then the big finale, uh, I agree a little bit lackluster on the backstage plot, which honestly for me is more and more what's making these episodes. Yeah. It's a good backstage plot that feeds in. Um, so maybe that's just more me developing a more personal preference. It's where they can really have a story going on, you know, as opposed to just exactly. performances. Yeah. But overall, she did great. She interacted with the Muppets well, which is a, a huge hallmark for us. Exactly. As far as good hosts go. Um, and yeah, the final number was just was a lot of fun. Yeah. When do you ever get to see that many explosions? 
exactly. Um, and I, I just, I really liked, you know, Rolf getting, uh, upset about the use of the term bow wow is derogatory you know and then um i liked the, her duet with fozzy that's a good catchy song and so just yeah all around like felt me i felt happy i was laughing a little bit throughout it's like this is a good episode i like to see fozzy play the ukulele yeah so when do you get to see that <laughs> it was great oh uh, the funny line i forgot to mention when she's uh, he she just talks to the 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 pit the orchestra pit and she tells mm-hmm. them how what'd she say about the music is it Oh, I'm trying to remember the joke, but it made me laugh really loud. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, something about confusing orchestration. Or she's like, oh, or a really fancy orchestration. And they're like, oh, yeah, the notes here say it's a fancy orchestration. I don't know what it was, but it was really funny. And so I don't know. That's one of my louder laugh out loud moments I've had on Muppet Show in a while. So it, it was a good episode. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the music this week. Tico Tico. Originally a Brazilian song written in Portuguese, a popular English version was recorded by the Andrews sisters, more commonly known for their uh, their song, The Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, play a simple melody from the musical Watch Your Step, uh, the first stage musical written by Irving Berlin. He would later go oh, on wow. to write big smash hits like Zigfield Follies and Annie Get Your Gun. Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow by English songwriter Joseph Tabrar. I hope I got that right. A popular music hall song. Our generation's only exposure would be this episode of The Muppet Show. And Helen Mirren, fellow Muppet Show guest Peter Sellers, sing the chorus of this song in the 1980 movie, The Fiendish Plot of of Dr. Fu Manchu. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's a a real movie with Peter Sellers and Helen Mirren. That can't be a PC movie. (laughs) And they sang part of Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow in that in that movie. Wow. Uh, And that was also Peter Sellers last feature film. Oh, gotcha. The fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. (laughs) Uh, I'm just wild about Harry from another Broadway show I had never heard of, A Shuffle Along. Shuffle Along is actually credited with being the first successful Broadway show to feature an all-African-American cast, as well as all-African-American writers. Cool. Yeah. So, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, It was really strange moment for me to pick out but it's just because i'm i think muppeteering moment has kind of grown for us about the whole production value of what was happening there on stage and it was when miss piggy's tied to the railroad tracks and that whole set scene was well done and, and the whole set looked great and everything like that but also when she's when they w- walk away you see the train actually coming down the back backdrop which i thought was just a backdrop but they had they actually got a light in there that was moving towards yeah, the camera and it was like forced perspective yeah and, and yeah. i was like that was just it just caught me it's like that was just so well done and probably took time to do for this little silly setup for this little skit and i was like that just took a lot of energy and thought to go into that so i was like yeah that's my favorite muppetry moment for that whole thing uh for me i'm gonna go with uh muppet labs hmm with Beaker taking the shrinking pills, the shrinking, and I'm not sure this qualifies as Muppeteering even, but the shrink effect was done really, really well. You could only see the edge of the effect one time, and then Bunsen Honeydew stepping behind Beaker then, like, really sold the whole thing. Yeah. It was just a very well done, clean effect, and I had really had to respect it. Yeah, they had to be so creative with these effects because they don't have all the technology we have now, and they do such a great job with it. So that was impressive. All right, German. So what happened this week on the episode of the original series that we watched? All right. So we have Bread and Circuses, which honestly, I had really forgotten about this episode. And so watching it, I was like, I don't remember seeing this at all. Almost to the point where I 
I'm not sure if I even had seen it before, which is really weird for me because being the Trek fan that I am. Um, but it also has been labeled as some of the some people say one of the underrated episodes of the entire original series. So take that as you will. Hmm. So the Enterprise encounters the wreckage of a survey vessel, the SS Beagle, which is named after the um, the vessel that Darwin used to uh, use the Galapagos and all his uh, adventures. Um, but its captain was R.M. Merrick, who Kirk knew back at the Academy. And Spock notices that some of the debris from the Beagle hit a nearby planet in a previously unexplored system. So when they get near the planet to investigate, they notice that the planet is broadcasting 20th century style television signals, including a televised live gladiator match. So through further investigation, they figure out this planet has evolved much like Earth, but to where the Roman Empire was never dissolved and still rules the entire planet. So while watching the gladiator match through the TV signals, the announcer says the name of the gladiator that was just killed and Spock and Spock finds out that that was actually one of the people from the Beagle, one of their officers. So, of course, they have to go investigate now. So Kirk, Spock and Bones go down to the planet to investigate and are immediately captured by people who say that they are escaped slaves from the Empire. Um, And they don't trust Kirk and the others at first, but Kirk eventually convinces them to help him get to their ruler, who he finds out is actually Captain Merrick himself under the new name Merricus, like America. So slaves also mention that they are free men because they are children of the sun. But we'll get back to that later. That'll become important later on. So they go off with one of the slaves named Flavius to infiltrate the capital and find Merrick. But they are immediately captured once again. They are jailed and told they will become gladiators on the TV show. But Kirk convinces one of the guards to tell Merrickus that James Kirk is here because he'll know who he is. And they almost escape after that, but Merrick arrives with more men and takes Kirk, Bones, and Spock to a nice dinner, where they then meet the proconsul, one of the natives of the planet who's also in charge, Claudius Marcus. And we soon see that Claudius Marcus might be really the one in control here and not really Merrickus. So Merrick explains that he originally came down to the planet to get ore to repair his ship, but when he met the people of the planet, he thought they should be totally protected from cultural contamination and somehow that means for him to beam down all his men from the beagle and try to get them to assimilate into the culture or they'd be forced to take part in the gladiator games and die so i don't really understand his logic there but that's what he was saying so now (laughs) merrick and marcus tell kirk that he must do the same and have his crew beam down or they would kill him um so instead kirk radios scotty and gives him a message in code that things have gone wrong but to take no action he says, like, uh, code green, everything's fine down here. Something like that. It's like a code. Uh, this angers Marcus, so he sends Spock and Bones to the Gladiator TV show where they are to fight Flavius and another Gladiator named Achilles while Kirk watches them. And Spock easily handles his opponent because he's strong. He's a Vulcan. Um, and Flavius goes easy on Bones because he doesn't want to be there either. He's the escaped slave from earlier. So um, even when he's being whipped from off screen to fight harder. So Spock knocks out his opponent and then nerve pinches Flavius so he can knock them both out safely. Uh, and they get boos and hisses from the fake audience, the little turn dials. And Spock and Bones are sent back to the slave pens. And Kirk is sentenced to death for, on television the next day. And for some reason, Marcus sends Kirk a sex slave to entertain Kirk for his last night before his execution in a very strange, unnecessary scene uh, because he respects him as a man or something. It was very odd. Uh, and then the next day, Flavius rushes to save Kirk before he's killed on, on television, and then he himself is killed. And then more guards come in to k- kill Kirk, but at that very moment, Scotty gets tired of waiting on the Enterprise, so he shoots down a blast of energy to the capital that temporarily blacks out all of their power. 
And this gives Kirk the distraction he needs to go free Spock and Bones from the slave pens. And they're about to be captured again by the guards when Merrick has a change of heart and radios the Enterprise quickly to beam three up. And then he's then stabbed by Marcus, Claudius Marcus. At that very last moment, Kirk, Bones, and Spock are beamed safely to the Enterprise. And on the ship, Spock remarks that it's weird that sun worship would lead to them thinking that all men are brothers because sun worship is always a primitive religion. Because those slaves that were all practicing sun worship and saying we were all brothers among men. But Mm -hmm. Ahura pipes up and tells them that she's been monitoring the broadcast on the planet and figured out that it was S-O-N worship, not S-U-N worship. Oh, and they're all like, oh, Jesus and stuff. So, yeah, that was a a cruddier ending. But uh, the rest of it was, I thought, very good. So what do you think of this episode, Steve? Uh, So things I liked. This is one of the more tolerable non-time travel, time travel episodes. <laughs> right. We've had like a couple in a row here, I feel like. Um, I at least liked the concept that it would be like, oh, what's the, what would the Roman Empire be like 2,000 years later? Right. I don't think they explored it fully enough. And they're like, it's just like Roman times, but there's TV shows. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I like things- that the uh, real quick that they actually mention something called Hodgkin's Law, that planets might evolve the same way in different places. So at least they kind of mentioned that this time because they've already done this before with the gangsters and stuff. So at least there was a mention of it. Yeah. Uh, I like seeing another opportunity where Scotty kind of got to be captain and do his own thing. And he made his own calls and even kind of broke the rules a little bit to do what he thought was right. I like that aspect. Things I struggled with a little bit. Um, (laughs) Maricus's turn was way too fast. Mm. And that is becoming a theme with a lot of Star Trek episodes where the seeming bad guy changes his mind way too late for way too little of a reason. Yeah. We had that with the immortal beings of the plot. Those immortal beings, my other episode where he suddenly just suddenly on a dime turns and he's becomes cooperative. Suddenly it was very strange. Yeah. Um, why the hell would all of those escaped slaves keep wearing their slave clothes that identify them as slaves <laughs> with the three circles, like the chain link across the chest on those gray outfits? I was like, why would they keep wearing those? That is true. Why would they do that? Uh, and I completely agree. The sex slave thing was real weird. <laughs> it was like they got two thirds of the way through writing the episode and they went, oh my God. Kirk hasn't had a woman yet. Oh, crap, we got to get one in there. And so they literally just threw one in. And then they do imply that he did have sex with her. I'm like, what the hell? Why would he just, what? It just didn't, it didn't make any sense. Um, So I absolutely agree with that. Like, it just seemed like a late ad for no reason. Yeah. Like chauvinism. (laughs) You know, chauvinism. Um, Overall, though, pretty good episode. We've had far worse episodes than this one. I think the premise could have been just as weak as some of the others we've seen, but I think it was well written. There was really good dialogue in this one. Um, a lot of good moments between the, the, the trio um, talking about smog in the beginning was really funny. And um, anytime yeah. there, I, I think that the theme I'm seeing is anytime they're forced to write from a specific perspective, the writing gets better. So in this case, it was like very Roman proper speech patterns, kind of weird verbiage use that you wouldn't hear that often anymore. And because of that, that it really elevated the dialogue. That's true. Versus when they're just trying to write the way that they think future people talk. <laughs> it just, it goes way downhill way fast. It just sounds like sixties people. Right. Oh, and I thought the scene of the bones and Spock in the cell where, um, 
Bones is like, you know, I, I know I give you a hard time all the time, but I, I really do care for you or something like that. And it's like, it's a really good moment there. And then Spock just kind of loses it <laughs> and Bones gets pissed because he <laughs> didn't take in his nice moment. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really, really good writing in there. So is that so all? got some factoids? I do. So the caves where the children of the sun that hide out, the slaves, are one of the most used locations in television and movies. In addition to being the entrance to Batman's 1966 cave, uh, they are also seen in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Kung Fu, and various police and Western shows. And they are located wow. right below the famous Hollywood sign, which is pretty cool. So yeah. that, that little cave they walked into, they were right below the Hollywood sign, which is funny. Uh, during the location shooting for this episode, the new producer, John Meredith Lucas, visited the set accompanied by Gene Roddenberry. Apparently, Lucas was struck by the tension and bad atmosphere among the cast. Shatner came around the corner, and when he saw Gene, he turned around and went the other way. And the cast was fighting, too. All the actors complained to me about all the other actors. <laughs> Which, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Apparently, things were, were uh, tight on the set there. And now two little academic things which are kind of interesting. The title Bread and Circuses, which I thought was you know, an unusual title for the episode, is a translation of Panem et Circenses, an ancient Roman metaphor for people choosing food and fun over freedom. And it first appears around AD 100 in the satires of Juvenal, which also provided the title for another Star Trek production about 20 years later. Star Trek The Next Generation, Who Watches the Watchers, was also based Ooh. off the satires of Juvenal. Um, and the final twist involves a similarity between the words sun and sun, S-O-N and S-U-N, in the Neo-Roman culture. Ironically, this pun only works in Germanic languages such as English. It would never work in Latin, which is the real Roman Empire's primary language, nor is romantic derivatives such as Italian, where the words for sun, filius or figlio, and sun in the sky, soul and sole, do not sound the slightest bit alike. <laughs> so it, even with the universal translators, that wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to get that confused. It was it was interesting, but a little academic stuff there. <laughs> so do nice. we got any uh, Trek connection, Muppet connections this week? Oh, boy, do I. Uh, Logan Ramsey, who played Claudius Marcus, uh, did a single episode of ALF. Ooh. Alf was voiced by Paul Fusco, who provided the voice for Alf in the animated, uh, now infamous drug PSA, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, uh. which also featured the Muppet Baby. <laughs> oh my god, that was a tenuous if you have connection. Not, if you have not seen this uh, like after-school special Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, it is... It's just a scoop of nostalgia. Apparently, I have to. scoop of nostalgia. Look, it's got to be on YouTube. Yeah. It, it's worth a watch <laughs> just for how over the top it is. But both Alf and Muppet Babies in there. That's funny. Uh, Gene Stapleton was in a few episodes of Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater. Leonard Nimoy was also featured in the episode Aladdin and His Wonderful Lamp. Oh, there you go. And then finally, Gene Stapleton was on an episode of The Love Boat. Yeah. <laughs> and as mentioned before, many, many other Muppet Show guests, as well as Star Trek one-shot appearance holders, uh, also made appearances on The Love Boat. That's right. The Love Boat. <laughs> That's amazing. So these are basically the same episode. I Basically, yeah. 
I mean, because listen to this. These are similarities here, folks. You think it's Gonzo who is going to blow the trumpet at the beginning of the Muppet episode, but it's actually Kermit from behind him. Just like you think Maricus is running things, but it's really Marcus running from behind the scenes. Ooh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Gene refuses to do a complicated orchestration on stage, just like Planet 892-4 refuses to complicate their future and just sticks with Roman laws. (laughs) That makes total sense. Like, why why go more complicated than that? Yeah, just keep it simple. Uh, Rolf objects to performing a song with the term Bow Wow, but he is forced to continue by the violent pig, just as Flavius now wants to be a pacifist, but is forced to fight in the gladiator games. Mm. Uh, that is literally my exact thing. <laughs> Are you serious? Both feature thugs with weapons, forcing, forcing someone to do something they don't want to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, man. Is that all you had? Yeah, it's it. <laughs> I'm trying to push the button and it's not working. Oh, there it is. What's happening? Oh, what's that? <laughs> Transporter malfunction. That's so funny. Okay, so here's part of the show where we transport one character from one of the episodes to the other and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? Muppet Trek this week. I've got Kermit going over to replace Kirk. I typically try to stay away from the principal Muppets, but something about a gladiatory, gladiatorial type scene with Kermit. Uh, similar to the fight scene from Muppet Treasure Island, mm. I just think would be hilarious. That's true. That would be fun. Um, I had to transport Jean Stapleton to take the place of Flavius because I can just imagine her being in the gladiator pit and just be like, wow, <laughs> like just jumping around. Just, it would be ridiculous. It would take all the seriousness out of it. It's fair. Uh, tr- uh, Trek to Muppets this week. I've got Scotty coming over. Oh, uh, and replacing Harry. So instead of the final number, instead of all explosions, it'd be just beaming Gene around the stage wildly. <laughs> That'd be fun to watch, too. Right. Uh, I have Septimus, who was a smaller character in the episode. He was the old guy in charge of the escaped slaves. He was the religious yeah, okay. man they all listened to. I had yeah, him, the older guy. Yeah, I had him taking the place of Kermit. Because he's just so incredibly calm and very good at mediating and calming people down that he would solve all of the Muppets backstage problems like very quickly. So definitely Septimus. Okay. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 55 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Alice Cooper. And original series episode Assignment Earth, which is the last episode of season two of Star Trek, the original series. So as our tradition goes, we will list our top three and bottom three episodes of the season. Very exciting. So from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 